0: This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So good morning, everybody. Great to have all of you here today, as we sort of I feel like we 're closing out the summer and, and again lots of good stuff summer shows sure for a lot of us, a lot of good stuff, challenging stuff. We welcome all that here at new church live and what I wanted to do again with this with this series we 're using this fall that we 're going to be launching today is is to get really clear like all right, so what is it that we do it 's based on this idea. this is what we do. this is what we do. These are the things that we do as a congregation. We care, we bless, we love, we give. And they're all connected, but I want to sort of pull each one apart in turn and look really specifically at, at what it is we do with each one of these things and how they can really open up our lives. So to get started with that, today we're going to be looking at, at how is it that we truly become caring. And a lot of the part of how we truly become caring is learning to find an appropriate amount of humility in our lives. Now, I'm not talking about no self-confidence. I'm talking about that part of us that just can get pushed way too far out there, can become consumed about how we fit in and do we fit and do we belong, all those questions that are just sort of intractable to answer. They're impossible to answer. So the way I want to get at that is I want to start with a set of two questions. The first one is, I thought I was all that when. So what I'm going to ask for is I'm going to ask for just two or three people to volunteer, raise your hand, and you're going to complete that statement. For me, I thought I was all that when I got an orange Schwinn five-speed Stingray with a banana seat and a big high bar. It was like one of those ones they had on the Brady Bunch. I thought I was all that when I had that, when I finally had that thing, and I learned a few things different (laughs) through my life. So that's what I'd like to do, is just start with that question, then we're going to flip to a second question, we're going to remain out there in the audience, and again, another two or three people who will just answer that one. So the first question here, I thought I was all that when, if you're on our online audience, feel free to text me in an answer. So just raise your hand, and I will be around.
1: I thought I was all that when I landed a manager job. When I
0: landed a manager job? When you finally got the big job, that's a good one.
1: I thought that I was all that when I got roller skates for my birthday.
0: Excellent, roller skates for the birthday.
1: I thought I was all that when I got accepted into ANC. and
0: <laughs> Yes, when you got accepted into A&C. Did the admissions office hear that? Excellent. All those, all those pieces where, you know, we thought we were all that when. Now, look at this next question. I learned about humility when. So we can think, I was all that when, fill in the blank, and then where did we learn humility?
2: I learned it I learned about humility when I became a parent.
0: How many of us have been completely humbled by parenting? It is totally, totally, totally humbling. If you don't believe that, wait till they turn 14 and you'll see. I learned about humility when. What's another answer there, folks? Another answer. I learned about humility when. Can we get that All right.
1: I just started out that I thought I was all that when I decided to stop coloring my hair and I learned about humility when my girlfriend lost her hair. Yes,
0: oh, that's good, that's good. You know, those things that we work on so hard and then we see people lose those very things and all of a sudden it puts it all into perspective. Folks, give everyone a round of applause. So those parts are, are really significant. Like we can all get into that um, I'm all that one. And if we're into that, I'm all that place. It's very hard to learn to be a humble person. And it's very hard then to learn to care when we're all caught up in the right roller skates or the right school or the right twin bike or the right hair color. It's just, it's just really, really hard or the right job. You know, it's just really hard to be a caring person. It's hard to start to think about others because we're always so worried about our positioning, so to speak. So I want to share with you a story here from the Bible that that gives us some beautiful insights into it. And it's a story that talks about such typical human uh, proclivities for how how we sort of see the world. And again, I want to say, and many of you have heard me say this before, it's really the beauty of the Bible. You know, the beauty of the Bible for me is that this is not sort of a sanitized document that tells you all the ways to be perfect. It's a document that's made up of stories of people like you and me who've wrestled with this thing called faith for thousands of years. Sometimes the wrestling goes well, and sometimes it doesn't. It's very much about the human condition. So I'm going to be reading to you here. We're going to start with a story from Matthew chapter 20. And and this is a story about a mom sort of trying to get her sons a little up there in terms of the, the fame category. And this is how the story starts. And the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus. Now, Zebedee's son means James and John. Two of the 12 disciples, there's 12 people following Christ there's these two guys and their mom says, I need to go talk to Jesus about how we can kind of get you bumped up. And it's, no, you, you thought helicopter parents were new. They're not. And it, it gets even better. And this is where folks like, please read the Bible with, with a sense of humor. Like it's meant to be funny. If you find the Bible, Bible too serious, you're missing the point. You know, because there's all kinds of these funny stories in there. So then the mother of Zebedee's son, think helicopter mother, comes to Jesus with her sons, with the two of them. And then here's where it says, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. Now, that's sort of that false humility, right? That, that uh, you know, and you can just picture like, hey, I got these two guys, I got to get them. She brings them up and then she kneels down on the ground. She sons, you guys got to kneel down. You know, this, this real deferential thing, which is, Christ. I mean, I can just look at him going like, what? It wasn't the typical way that people were talking to Christ. You can kind of get a sense that there would have been a smile on his face. Not a frown, but a smile because he knew what was coming. And this is, how, this is how it goes on. What is it you want, he asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. It's, it's, it's kind of like, folks, it's, it's, it's we lose the power of these words. So shortly before this part of the story, shortly before this part of the story, the disciples had had this beautiful vision of Christ. And almost like a dreamlike vision. Now, probably a lot of you don't know this. That's fine. It's just to give you a little context of this. It's where Christ all of a sudden starts shining like the sun. Starts shining like a sun, sort of like a big guardian angel. Here's this guy I've been walking with. He's just this normal guy. All of a sudden you go on a hike and the guy starts shining. Just think about that. And then all of a sudden as he's shining to the law and the prophets, you know, uh, Moses and Elijah, these ancient, ancient prophets that were thousands of years before that show up at either side of him to these people everybody knew about. And they're shining too. One on his fill in the line. One on his what hand? His right hand. And one on his left hand. So these two disciples see that and they're going, that's going to be us. That's going to be us. We just need to get mom to convince Jesus of it. So she tries. She tries to do that. One on the right hand, one on the left. Story of the Transfiguration. They're trying to be part of that story. Rank right up there with Moses and Elijah. Like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. That's sort of what they're trying to do. Now, these two disciples were considered so, so, so powerful. Jesus actually had a name for them. You can see it in the bottom right there. He called them the sons of thunder. That's how high energy these guys were. Be kind of cool. Like if, if you were, and imagine they're twins, you know, imagine somebody calling you a son of thunder. That's pretty cool. Isn't it interesting, right? Like, like here are these guys, all this hubris, all this swelling up, all this sort of this, this posturing, this, this looking back to the transfiguration. It's pretty obvious that what these guys are bucking for is this. Privilege, prestige, and please say the last with me. Privilege, prestige, and power. Like if we can just become that, if we just fit in there. You know, and I think a lot of us wrestle with that, right? Like if I could just be part of that group, that's the in group. If I could just be part of that team or or part of that work team or part of that this or part of that that, then I would finally have it. Then I would finally have it. In other words, they wanted Jesus to say, in one word, favorite. That actually, you two are my favorite. It's very hard, again, to imagine something where, where we can actually be caring people in that. Now, as the band comes out, as the band comes out here for the third song, I'd ask you to think about, yeah, where can that show up for you? And, and, and think of the cost of that, folks, Like If you go into a room and you're all about worrying about where you fit in this place, I do a lot of wedding receptions, so I always go through this little feeling like a 14-year-old on the first day of junior high school every time I go to one of those. And I'm all worried about where do I fit, who's going to talk to me, so I spend way too much time at the food buffet because that I know like looks like I'm doing something. And we get all anxious about that. And and here's a story where it's saying, no, you kind of got to let that go. You got to let go of those perspectives. And when we do, a beautiful transformation can start to take place. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what that transformation is. We're going to talk about some more humor that we find in this story and look about what it means to actually really care, a caring that comes out of a very humble place. Again and again, I, I I think so much of the Christian message comes down to this. How do we move our view of love from transactional? That it's all a transaction. I'll love you when, I'll love you if. Finite amount of love, how do we parse it out? Well, I parse it out by being able to look out there in the world, see where I fit, those people who who somehow can feed back to me good stuff. Those are the ones that I'll give love to. Pure transaction. But transformation down your soul. That's what this is about. That's why we come and gather on Sundays to talk about that. That's why we serve on Mondays to live into that. That's why we join us, partners. That's why we do the things we do to try to find that. And we can also find it with a with a big smile. Uh, one of some of our viewers from down south, Derek and Brittany. Derek uh, emailed, I mean, texted me. He said, "Where, where did it, when did I think I was all that?" He said, "Humility when I bought a boat." And then I replied to him, I love the joke about boat owners, two best days, when they bought their boat and when they sold it. Probably a lot of you have heard that joke. And then he said, very true, our motor blew up the first time on the water. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the way life goes, right? We can think, I'll have this thing, and then I'll fit in this way, and that's what this story is about, and then I'll be able to fit in this way, I'll have prestige, I'll, have, I'll, I'll be able to fit in a new way, and somehow life will all be good. And that's, that's not to be really how it works. And you look at the, the way the human nature of this follows. So, so Christ, when after his ass, this is what Christ says. He asks him, can you drink this cup? Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? In other words, he's saying, look, I'm going to be going through a lot of hard times. This is right before Easter, by the way. So I'm going to be going through a lot of really challenging times. You sure you really want to sign up for this, guys? Like This is hard. And of course, notice what they say. Say the W word there. They say, we can. Now notice, mom's no longer in the picture. So they sort of jump up and go, we can. We can handle this. We can do it. They answer together. And that's how the story goes on. And from there, Christ goes like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. I don't really know that you're at that point yet where you can go through this. I mean, what Christ what Christ offers, he says, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom have been prepared by my father. So he kind of like pushes it aside a little bit, this comment. And then comes a second beautiful, beautiful part of the story. So shout out here. I said, we're talking about two disciples. How many total were they? Let's say it together. How many total were there? 12, that means we got, who's good at math here? How many do we have left to talk about? 10. So what is it about these other 10? Well, this is where the other 10 come into the story. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers, the sons of thunder. Jesus called the 10, them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, which means the Romans, lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So it's it's, again, you have to read this with a smile. So the two obviously have moved aside with their mom. Here are the other 10. They're really indignant. Like, what were those guys doing asking to be your favorites? Now, anytime somebody asks you, why are they your favorite? What are they really asking? (laughs) Why why am I not your favorite? Asking it for themselves. And it's interesting the way Christ, Christ handles this. Like, again, you look at the line. And he says, you know that the Romans actually have power over those two. The Romans do. And all their high officials exercise power over those two. And then a beautiful line, not so with you. Now, now just put yourself, again, folks, put yourself in the genius of this. Here are these 10 people. And Christ is going, well, you know, they think they're all that, but the reality is lots of people have power over them but not so with you, you 10. And you can imagine what would start to happen in their heads. Like, oh, so we're actually your favorites. We're actually gonna be the ones who you say are favored. Do you think that's where Christ is driving? Yes or no? No, it's not where Christ is driving at all. But he uses it again as a smile, a little twist of humor in this story as a way to kind of capture their attention. And this is how it goes on. This is how it, moves forward. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be, please say the S word there, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of humanity did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A beautiful line there, folks. A beautiful shift and you can see where, where Christ has sort of set it up to be this answer, which is where a lot of us would be thinking. It's certainly where I would be thinking. And then he takes that, that, that energy and he shifts it over into a totally different perspective. And it's a perspective about caring. It's a moving away from something, a letting go of something, a letting go of attentiveness to something. And it's a shifting into a new form of caring. Now, what is that caring all about? Well, it's interesting. Like, here's the shift. Here were people who were caring about privilege, prestige, and power. Caring about. And it's moving the shift. And this is really, really important. It's moving the shift from those things we care about to those things we care, and say the F word there, those things we care for caring about caring for and caring for as he says here the many that's really powerful when i get stuck in my head paralysis by analysis it's oftentimes is because i'm caring about privilege prestige and power where i fit where I belong? Am I number one? Am I your favorite? Am I that person's favorite? All those different things. And here, Christ, you know, he doesn't admonish them for that. He doesn't say, you guys are way off the base. He doesn't do that. Very typically what he does is he just, he just points us in a different direction. He goes, okay, this. <laughs> okay, you can have that perspective. Let's look at something Different. Here's, here's the optimism to it, folks. And this is, this is where, like, I, I really want you to feel good. You know, if you're a first-time attending, I want you going out here feeling good about faith, feeling good about religion. And, and that's hard to do. You know, frankly, some of the meanest people I've ever met have been religious. And, and, and how do we kind of recapture that, that religion isn't supposed to be that thing? New Church has an interesting perspective on this. I grew up hearing a lot about like, look, you are are sort of messed up and you need to do all these things. You need to stop doing all these things, all these sins. You need to stop, 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 stop. So I grew up with kind of a pretty um, darker view of human nature. And I don't see it that way anymore. And then it begs the question, well, then why does the Bible talk so much about thou shalt not, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that? This is why. And this this should, this should just like this should give you chills I think. It's because you're a good person. It's because you're a good person. It's because you're a caring person. Whether you have the right roller skates or not. You're a good person. And there's a beautiful, beautiful set of of sort of positions that that New Church talks about, where where it's the belief that if we get rid of that bad stuff, if we get rid of that bad stuff, the good stuff is already there by default, an inmost, a divine spark that's already in God, already in heaven, and you can't get rid of it. The words to baptism, the words to baptism start with this not you are so guilty. How could you have done that? They start with the words, This is my beloved. This is my beloved. Right from God. This is my beloved that's where Christ is pointing to in this story. It's saying that as those things, if we can, as best we can push away the, what we care about, the power, the prestige, the position, we can push that aside as best we can. We will learn to care for many people because that's the default. That's actually how we're set up. And we start to go into this beautiful cycle. Now, The beautiful part of this series is is as we look at this is what we do, the, the theme of it is this. We add, God multiplies. We do our bit, God will multiply the efforts. Can we say we add, God multiplies together? Ready? We add, God multiplies. We add, God multiplies. I mean, that's simply, that's a very simple, simple, basic, powerful, spiritual dynamic. We add, God multiplies. We let go of a few things, we add a few caring efforts, God multiplies it. And this is how New Church holds that. You kind of have God and think of God as love, as being the multiplier. We bring goodwill to that. We bring just just basic goodwill, like we're going to bring goodwill here. Even in difficult circumstances, if I have hard things to say, I'm still going to bring goodwill to it. I'm still going to wish best for other people, even in difficult circumstances. And then I'm going to have faith at the same time. Faith is the eye of love. How Manuel Swedenborg defines it. Faith that understands peace. Faith that knows that there is a big picture. I've said this before, but I know we have a number of first-time people here today. How can that be true? Faith that knows that there's a big picture. All of you know that already. I'm gonna ask the parents in the audience to shout this out. Your child or your children have a nightmare. They crawl into bed with you. The most safe valley in the world between mom and dad. Safest geography there is. What do you tell your child? Somebody shout it out. It's gonna be okay. It's going to be okay. That's the basis of faith. It's something we know in our core. It's not hung up out here, position, prestige, all those things, the worries of this, the worries of that. It's it's a core value that we really come to know deep in our hearts. And that cycle ends up being this beautiful thing. Swedenborg goes on to say, like, the God part, God is, it says right here in this passage, God is goodwill and faith in us. Like, that part is God's dwelling in us. It's not a voice outside of us. It's the goodwill and faith in our heart. And ready for this part, this is a beautiful piece of it, too. That goodwill and faith, that's us, that's you, in God. Beautiful synergy, back and forth. We're adding, God's multiplying. So it begs the question, like, well, is this actually possible? Like, can we do this? Can we see how this cycle works? Can we see that shift from where we're all caring about all these certain external things into we're learning to really care for many people, caring for many people? Now, the answer, obviously, is yes. So I want to show you a video from Houston that shows how that came alive for one business owner who owned a big mattress store in Houston. So take a look.
2: Shelters across Houston, stadiums,
1: convention centers, churches embracing the suddenly homeless. And one man opened the doors to his store, an act of generosity that made perfect sense. ABC's Matt Gubbin is inside that store, Matt.
2: Think about it, George. What could be a softer crash pad than a furniture store that already has model bedrooms? But not every store owner would be happy with evacuees sprawling out over millions of dollars of merchandise. But then again, not every store owner is a Texan known as Mattress Mac.
1: Okay, no problem.
2: This is Jim McEnvail better known as Mattress okay,
1: Mac. You want your furniture delivered When win? Gallery Furniture really well pays you money. I am Mattress Mac. How can I help? A beloved local businessman.
2: Take it away, George. With a Texas-sized personality. And since 1981, he's owned the high-end gallery furniture stores in Houston. Soon after the wind started blowing, 66-year-old Mac went from selling... To give it. We got lots of beds, we got lots of food, we got water. Offering a free port in the storm. They are opening up both buildings as shelters during this horrible time. Mac had plenty of takers. He says a lucky few hundred came in on their own, others rescued by his own delivery trucks.
1: We sent them out, picked up about 200 people. They were stranded on bridges, they were stranded in convenience stores, they were walking through the water with snakes and alligators.
2: They all found shelter at Mac's two Houston stores and warehouses. Where they could recover from their struggles on plush beds and couches with high-altitude
1: price tags. We said to hell with profits. Let's take care of the people. That's the right thing to do. That's where I was brought
2: up. I just thought we was gonna go like to a shelter, you know, and it'd be like really hard times for us right now. But now, being here, oh, I'm I'm so relaxed. Thanks for all you <laughs> do. Yeah, you. This has also become a crash pad for a National Guard company on break. These $12,000 beds, quite the upgrade from their standard-issue cots. And he's not concerned about any wear and tear.
1: Furniture's made to be set on, slept on, laid on, whatever, so he used the product. It ain't going to hurt it. (laughs) Are you going to resell the product afterwards? Absolutely. Okay. We'll have a Harvey floor model sale or something. I'll come up with some stick, you know. When they said uh, a gallery furniture, I was like, they got to be joking. This is
2: Carol. She's here with her daughter and two grandsons. Home for the past three days has been this living room display. So you were also
1: in Katrina? I was also in Katrina. I never thought I'd be in here that we would go experience the same thing, but we did.
2: Back then, she was trapped on the sixth floor of a building in New Orleans.
1: We got rescued by the Coast Guard and they took us to this convention center in New Orleans. How many people were there? Oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. It was horrible.
2: This time, she was rescued by the fire department, which brought her
1: to Max place. He didn't have to do this, and he made it so comfortable. When I left home, I left home without some of my medications and some of my medical equipment, and they supplied it.
2: Countless other businesses are also stepping up. Bakery workers here stuck at work, stayed up all night baking bread to feed first responders. Restaurants giving away free meals to rescuers as well. And even Airbnb teaming up with their hosts to offer free rooms to evacuees.
1: This is where we have all our dogs staying.
2: And back here at Max Place doing everything they can to make their temporary guests more comfortable. And for the adults, on the menu, not your typical riding out the storm fare thanks to donations from a local restaurant. What are you eating there? Prime Prime rib and mashed potatoes. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: the smiles here contagious.
1: It's really, really good.
2: Mac stores have also become a neighborhood drop off for donations, food, water, medicine, and pet supplies for those who've left everything behind.
0: People have
1: brought so much that we've been sending it out to other shelters. Put the heavy stuff on
2: top. Appreciate you doing this for us, my friend. Thank you so much. During his seventh decade, Mac himself literally worked. 24 hours straight. Despite it all, his store,
1: amazingly, is still open for business. You know, somebody said, are y'all still a shelter or a furniture store? I said, we can be both. It's not an either or proposition. And walking down those canyons
2: of mattresses stacked high, we came across Ruby Hayes reaching out to Mattress Mac. My 84th
1: birthday.
2: You spent your 84th birthday here. Monday. She says Harvey took everything from her. And right there, Mack does something better than dry off her tears.
1: I'll give you a mattress for your birthday. How's that? <laughs> oh, i got to give you a birthday present. Happy birthday. Nice to see you. Yeah.
2: A true testament to the spirit of Texas.
0: Wow. Seen it always gets me ka-flump, that woman at the end, right? You know, and... And first off, I ever moved to Houston, I'm buying furniture from that guy. And you can just see what happens, folks. If we stay stuck, and this is where Christ is talking to us, that transformation. If we stay stuck in what we care about, power, prestige, positions. We stay stuck playing small. We stay stuck in places Christ tells us not to be stuck. Not in a way that's a shaming way or a punitive way, but in a way that says, actually, you're made at your very being to be more. And that more is the shift to caring for. Caring, of course, For our dearly beloved ones gathered around us. That's where the circle starts. A circle then expands out to our community. A circle then that expands out to our world. A circle then that expands out to God himself who holds the whole thing. That's what this story is about. That's where we can get really clear in a very settled way that this, this is what we do. Amen. The way we're going to close today's service is I'm going to offer a closing prayer. And then again, because it's kind of coming to the end of summer, like this is our last coffee shop format. We're actually going to do a very coffee shop-ish thing. We did it a few weeks before when, when Bob Plefka preached, which is our last song. We're actually going to do it right back behind the Marcus and the sound people. So I'm going to offer a prayer, and you have an opportunity to just have a moment of quiet reflection. Say your own prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer as you know it. And then we'd ask everybody, just please go on up and you can gather around us right there in the middle. We're just all going to sing together as a community, as a way for a final prayer, and as a way to get ready for the fall. So please join me in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here among us. And Lord, help us again to continue to think about what care is. What are those things that we care about that actually are pulling us aside, pulling us away from who you actually know we are, from the places you're asking us to go, from the people you're asking us to serve, from the love you're asking us to embody? Lord, allow us to be attentive to those things, to keep them in the right perspective so that we can learn to care for, to care for each other, to care for community, to care for the world, to care for you and your divine providence. Help us to be there, Lord, remembering as always that we are here to add in our own small way in you, in your love, in your grace, in your joy, in your peace, here to multiply in your name we pray amen